Welcome to Thinking Like a Lawyer, with your hosts, Ellie Mistal and Joe Patrice, talking about legal news and pop culture, all while thinking like a lawyer, here on Legal Talk Network. Hello, welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. Uh, we're recording yet again this week. Uh, good to be back and chatting with everyone. Uh, it's, you know, we, we've got a new microphone now, so hopefully this sounds a little bit better than some of our last few podcasts. And uh, with all that said, I'll first want to thank our sponsor for the show, Logical. Uh, if you're trying to cut costs, you're not alone. In today's climate, a five-figure e-discovery bill per month is steep. Don't pay that. Use Logical to reduce expense and control your discovery process. Get started today for only $250 per matter, and they'll waive migration costs from competing platforms. For more information, visit Logical.com slash LTN. That's Logic with a K, C-U-L-L dot com forward slash L-T-N. Well, as I'm sitting here in New York preparing for a May snowstorm, apparently, which is not something I ever thought I would have to say, my guest is, you know, from Colorado, is more prepared for summer uh, snowstorms. So tell me what I should be looking forward to there, Johnny. <laughs> well, snow, snow, random snow that you don't expect can be a little scary, but uh, I don't know if you drive or walk around New York mostly, but as long as you stay warm and stay dry, you should be good. Fair enough. Uh, and that's Johnny Nguyen. He's the chair of the law student division of the ABA. And he's here today. We're going to chat about some issues facing law students and the recently graduated, uh, which is his purview. So I guess first, tell us a little bit about the ABA's law student division. Yeah, sure. Well, first, Joe, thanks for having me on here. I'm really excited to chat with you and hopefully reach out to pre-law students, law students or uh, attorneys. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit about the ABA Lost in Division. Um, we've been around for, I think, close to 30 or 40 years now. Um, essentially, what we are is an entity uh, within the ABA, and we represent the largest population of the ABA's membership, um, which composes of 110,000 ABA-accredited law students. And what we really do is represent the interest of the student body before the ABA, as the ABA is always passing policies that affect law students and the future of the profession. And so my role as chair of the Lawson Division is I lead a council in pushing policies, pushing programming, uh, anything that would serve the best interests of law students, while also maintaining a conversation and the bridge between all the law student leaders, uh, SBA presidents across the country with the greater ABA. So what um, in... I, I we can't get too far into a conversation these days without uh, it turning to the the plague. Uh, so what have the you been doing vis-a-vis -vis the COVID outbreak? Obviously, that threw a monkey wrench into a lot of what was going on with law schools as they were coming down the stretch to finals. Yeah, for sure. Um, the pandemic, you know, was something that no one really expected happening. And, and you know, it, it really took a toll on a lot of law students in ways that we never expected going into law school. For example, for for one else, uh, I'll break it down by class. For one mm -hmm. else, it took a big toll on them because they only have one semester of grade so far, uh, finishing their fall semester. And so as they began their spring semester, a lot of schools went past fail. So as students, uh, 1L students enter their on-campus interviews uh, for summer jobs, 
you know, they're they're only being judged off of one semester of grades, which is totally unfair. And some of these students who have internships lined up this summer, they're getting their internships revoked. Therefore, mm -hmm. they're going to go into uh, their second year of law school without any legal experience, which is certainly unfortunate. For second year law students, it's rough because um, a lot of them had summer associate positions lined up at large law firms. And a lot of these large law firms are canceling their summer associate programs, therefore disrupting the, the pipeline to get law students into firms. Uh, me myself as a, as as a two L is victim to that. Unfortunately, my uh, my law firm, which is a big national law firm, they they canceled their summer associate program, and so I've been on the the scramble to find a, a last minute summer job and hopefully postgraduate employment. Um, huh. And as for three Ls, uh, I think they took the biggest hit. Where you know I, I remember on the on the day my school announced that we were going to go uh, online school fully. Um, that was the last day they said they were able to say goodbye to their classmates. And a lot of them are about to enter a legal market that's really threatened. That's, that's, that's a little scary right now. Um, I know some students who have been laid off from their postgraduate employment offers and some students who won't be able to take the bar exam. Therefore, they're at risk for losing their employment. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's been troubling on all of us. Um, and it's a really difficult time. And so uh, to answer your question about what I've been doing, what the ABA has been doing, we pushed out this um, law student survey uh, that was sent out to every student bar association president of every law school. And it actually got a lot of responses. We got over 1,700 responses. Um, and a lot of the students were asking the ABA law student division to support diploma privilege. And what mm -hmm. diploma privilege is, is a practice that's done in Wisconsin, where if you were to graduate and pass from your uh, respective state law school, then you would be granted diploma privilege, therefore able to practice law within that state or jurisdiction. That was an idea that's been practiced and the immediate concerns you think is, you know, it's, there's going to be a lot of malpractice issues or issues of clients, but there was really no evidence of that happening in Wisconsin and other states as well. Um, when we when we had discussions with the Greater ABA about diploma privilege, a lot of uh, the more senior attorneys were not in support of it because um, historically states have had diploma privilege for like West Virginia, but they removed it in in this sphere. So we found kind of a middle ground, and we decided to support limited practice. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and what this is is uh, so the ABA created this this task force, emergency task force that I was a part of. And we essentially drafted a resolution um, that would be used as a model for state Supreme Courts or state regulatory authorities to model their own uh, resolutions after or their own orders after, which would allow a graduate who would have sat for the bar to be eligible to practice law under supervision um, in the time being until they could take the bar exam again uh, up to like 2021 or something. And what we hope this resolution did was that it would allow some cushion time for these law students or these law graduates to not lose their jobs with their employers. Um, therefore, their employers could still keep them on as law clerks or something and then give them a year or something to figure out any situation with their employer or their family as it relates to COVID-19 to then take the bar exam. And so that's that's what we've been really doing right now. Um, and we're still keeping tabs on what firms are canceling their programs and seeing where we could also we could support students. Yeah, the we've talked a lot at Above the Law about diploma privilege, or more accurately, I guess, diploma privilege plus these kind of hybrid ideas that are kicking around academically about ways in which it could be diploma privilege, but 
you know, obviously because of concerns people have uh, about whether or not, you know, the whether or not they really are able to be lawyers and the malpractice concerns, different bolt-ons that could be sent to diploma privilege uh, increased and more aggressive CLE uh, requirements for first years out and stuff like that. Uh, but we've been talking a lot about that as a way of improving the situation and not just temporarily. I, I'm one of those people who thinks that this could be an opportunity for us to seriously rethink the whole law school to lawyer model because I feel like one of the problems right now is that we use the bar exam to filter out people who may have gone to law school but aren't able to be lawyers. And it kind of defers the responsibility of accreditation to the back end. You you go to this law school, it's not actually going to teach you anything. You'll spend a bunch of money and we'll sort it out at the bar exam as opposed to a regime that would make it more important for the law schools to be heavily watched and regulated so that they are putting out quality subject master competent lawyers because that would be the only way to become a lawyer. But Utah appears to be joining the ranks of Wisconsin on this. Uh, hopefully some others will too. But this was all a long way to get to. It seems as though some of those older lawyers who don't want to change things uh, are kind of taking the day. And not only are we seeing in-person bar exams still being scheduled. We just learned that Florida has decided they're going to go forward in July. Wow. Have you uh, heard about and about these attempts to pretend like nothing's happening in July? And uh, I don't know if it's fairly, it was yesterday, I guess that it came out, but have you seen that one? Um, I haven't seen that one personally, but we <laughs> oh, have yeah. this uh, little group email going on with the uh, emergency group that was formed to mm -hmm. draft the resolution. We've been keeping each other updated. I have a, as of the last week and a half, I've been studying for final exams because I've been well, right. uh, not not focusing as much on those as I should. And so I've been catching up. But um, yeah, in the, in the group chat, we've been sending updates and Colorado just adopted our own form of limited practice. Um, I think Tennessee mm -hmm. kind of already did as well and some other states as well. Um, I haven't heard about the Florida yeah. one yet, so I'll, I'll go read up on that yeah. after this. Yeah, no, Florida is uh, going forward with a July exam. Mm -hmm. They say, everybody wear a mask and just come on down to the convention center. So uh, yeah, they're, they, they claim they'll take people's temperatures, which for a disease that can be spread without symptoms doesn't seem like that's much of a check. But yeah. alas, that's what they're doing. I, uh, I That doesn't... I mean, I, again, I need to read into what Florida's doing, but mm -hmm. from what you tell me, you know, I, I have problems with that because although I, I do imagine. want students to be employed and, and take the bar exam as soon as they can, you know, the, the safety and well-being of students is the number one priority. And I think what's really problematic about our profession as a whole is we often prioritize our career over our well-being. And this just uh, speaks volumes to that in that the state of Florida wants to uh, still facilitate this bar exam, knowing that a lot of students will be at risk. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, these law students, you know, they're, they're very type A and they're going to do whatever they can for their careers. And sometimes law students have a difficult time, you know, putting their well-being first. And so this would just feed into that big problem. And, you know, I, I just feel really bad for students who do have their immunity compromise. You know, um, they may mm -hmm. make the best decision to not take the bar exam, but then they're at a set, they're set back amongst all their peers um, who are going to take the bar exam in Florida. So that's, that's unfortunate. Now in your, obviously the limited practice being the 
the primary recommendation that you're you're putting out. But have you had any discussions with folks about the possibility of promoting the development of an online bar exam or something like that that could allow people to take it at a distance? Or were you just focused on the getting the limited practice thing through considering all the constituencies you had to navigate? Yeah. Um, in the survey, we had a lot of responses. Uh, one of the questions that was specifically asked in the survey was, uh, should law students take the bar exam online? Um, mm -hmm. Surprisingly, a majority, I, I would have thought they would have said yes, but surprisingly, a lot said no. Um, huh. And I, I personally don't have a policy position on it myself, uh, and I can't speak mm -hmm. on behalf of the ABA of course. on what their position is, but... Um, we did recently just have a town hall with me and the president of the ABA, Judy Perry Martinez, and I asked her about um, online schooling and whatnot. And, you know, she acknowledges that technology is advancing and we should explore it. We should look into it as a, as a matter of innovation. And, and that's something I think we should definitely explore, but I, I can't get I don't know if I support her or not. And I, I recently heard California yeah. uh, is now allowing online exams. And so we'll guess we'll see how that that works out. Um, yeah. one problem I do foresee with online exams is that it could disproportionately affect students who don't have, uh, access to broadband. Um, mm -hmm. one of the things that my council this year has tackled was, uh, rural broadband access. And essentially a lot of law students, uh, when we started on the council, they reported us that they are studying at the bar for the bar exam inside of a McDonald's 20 miles away from their home because that's the oh. only place they can get Wi-Fi. Yeah. Which just one speaks to the diligence of our law students, you know, but it's unfortunate that some of them have to go through that situation. And I just hope that law students who will be taking the bar exam online, I, I just hope that they can find a way to mitigate uh, that barrier that may exist for them. Yeah, I would hope that, obviously this is wishful thinking, but I, I would hope that law schools would would volunteer to help out their recent graduates uh, rather than just cutting them off at the knees uh, and would offer to provide facilities and internet for folks taking, but you never know, I guess. Um, yeah. I guess law schools don't necessarily need to care after they've, after they've graduated, at least not until they can make donation checks. Um, but alas, so, so you mentioned well-being in there. I wanted to transition a little bit into that conversation. So we, one of the big topics always around law are these wellness, mindfulness, uh, initiatives what's going on what can you do on that you know like what what is the the aba been doing and your involvement if any in wellness sorts of initiatives yeah for sure uh, thanks for asking that, ashley because that's actually um when we all got started on this council this year we decided unanimously to prioritize mental health and wellness as our big project um, and so I'll hit on two things, two big, th we did a lot of things. So I'll hit on two big things that we did. Okay. One was a substantive push for a policy change. And the other was a mental health awareness and fundraiser for the policy side. Uh, we were hoping to convince states based on a 2015 ABA resolution to essentially change or amend the character and fitness questions on bar applications to remove or amend their, um, any questions that address mental health or wellness. Uh, for example, mm -hmm. some states had very probing questions um, asking students, have you ever been diagnosed with a mental illness? You know, And students can't mm -hmm. lie on these bar applications. So if they were to put yes, some states would even follow up and say, can you send us your medical records? You know, It's just such a mm -hmm. huge invasion of privacy that's problematic. And 
Another problem with that is that students who are aware that those questions are on the bar application, they are they may be less inclined to go seek mental health help because they don't want to be diagnosed with it. Um, therefore, creating another barrier for students to go seek help. Um, so we were we were pushing a petition. Uh, we partnered up with uh, Harvard Law School and Columbia Law School to get this pushed out. And uh, in recent news, we found out that New York just passed legislation to uh, essentially do so. Um, one of the senators there, a state senator, I forgot his name, but he pushed uh, a bill that passed to um, remove these questions in New York's bar exam questions, as well as create gender neutral pronouns uh, for their state. Um, I don't know that <laughs> I, I don't understand the uh, the legal paradigm and relationships between the legislature and the judicial branch well enough yet. But so I don't know if legislation would make that fix uh, because I understand it's a judicial authority to, to make that decision. But hopefully other states can follow that motto and uh, recognize that it may be an issue. Yeah. And um, oh, yeah. And then on the uh, the fundraiser and uh, awareness piece um, this year, my council and I, we pushed this um, big awareness project. It was a, a fun little t-shirt competition where students from any ABA accredited law school can submit their t-shirt designs for a mental health t-shirt that would be used as an awareness project. And um, a student from, uh, I believe the University of Virginia, she, I hope I didn't get that wrong, <laughs> but she, uh, she submitted this amazing t-shirt design that we've been now using to sell. And uh, we've, I haven't checked in a while, but we sold a few and we've fundraised a couple hundred um, and a hundred percent of those proceeds are going to go to the uh, ABA's Commission on Lawyer Assistant Programs, and uh, those funds will be designated towards uh, wellness programming for law students. Right. Well, so here's, I guess, going back to just the experience of being a law student right now. How have you been finding your law school zooming? Uh, have you noticed that that there's quirks one way or the other? Our professors taking to it and really becoming well-versed at online teaching? Or are there still technical hang-ups? Uh, old lawyers don't understand tech, aren't known for understanding technology. So have you experienced anything or heard anything from uh, your people? Um, well, in my own personal experience, my professors have been very great with Zoom. Uh, they're relatively young and uh, one of them has been teaching on Zoom for years now. And so she just knows the technology well. Oh, wow. um, I haven't personally heard of any issues with law professors, but I can imagine some very older law senior law professors would have issues because um, Zoom could be a little difficult to navigate if uh, you're not familiar with technology. And I, I know some law professors who don't know how to use PowerPoint. <laughs> um, so I'd, I'd, have a, I'd imagine they have a hard time functioning with Zoom. But thankfully, my law school has a, a great support system uh, for IT and stuff. So they probably got help. Um, hopefully other schools have as well. I would say that online learning, there's a lot of problems with it, of course, and productivity is slowing down on it, and it's a much harder to pay attention, but I'm glad that it's being recognized as an option. Um, mm -hmm. I know medical schools right now, they record a lot of their lectures. Some law schools, like the University of California, Irvine, they pre-record their lectures, which I think is a really good idea because it leaves it to the students uh, to balance their own schedules. I think it's a little... Um, it's a little more ancient or old school to make students show up to class at a certain time, because a lot of times I've had to just miss class because I had an interview that I had to schedule, or I had um, this networking event that I really needed to go to, or or a court date that I had to attend for my internship. 
Um, if classes were just pre-recorded, you know, attendance would certainly uh, go down, but at least it would allow a student to manage their own schedule a little better, which is what we should be teaching our law students to do as they enter the legal profession. Yeah. And it's all well and good to say you have to come to class when everyone's on campus, but now you can't necessarily know what the day-to-day -day schedule of a student is at home. They have other obligations uh, wherever they're sheltered and you can't just trust that the 9 to 10 a.m. slot is going to be available for them all the time. So it is it is a smarter move to do the recording, even if you are losing out a little bit on the uh, calling on students sort of model. Uh, it's great to have that flexibility. Yeah, I've been hearing some people wondering if this is going to become something of a trend that more professors are going to, even after this is over, lean into being able to record things. I don't know if you're hearing any of that buzz. I'd, I'd be interested to see if that actually comes to fruition. Yeah, I mean, I think people have always talked about having online courses or talking about online education. And um, I went to the University of Colorado Denver where they were really very innovative with online learning, really pushing degrees to go online. And I actually completed my entire senior year and end of junior year of college fully online. I didn't even go to class. Uh, wow. in person because I was working full-time as a, a legislative aide. And I, I really like that flexibility because it allowed me to do much uh, more substantive things for my career. Mm. And so I, I hope that with Zoom online learning, people can recognize that this is a tool that we shouldn't be afraid to use. And even with remote work too, um, so many people have always said, you know, remote work is not possible. Uh, things are just more productive in the office, but I think a lot of millennials and young people are proving that it is possible and that we, if you just give us deadlines, we'll meet it <laughs> on our own schedule. Yeah. yeah and I, I've actually talked to a fairly well-known senior attorney the other day who told me that while he has lived his entire life a firm believer in showing up to the office, it took him all of about three weeks of this to realize, you know, this is actually completely workable. Working from home is great. So it's a lesson for even the older set uh, to go through this and realize that maybe they've been sticking to trends that uh, were outdated. Sure. I, uh, yeah. A couple of years ago, I attended this conference uh, about, and they were talking about the millennial generation difference with uh, former generations. And you know, former generations were constructed to, you have to work this nine to five job. You have to show up and give your all during this time and just work, 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 you know? I don't think millennials yeah. really function that way. We like to work on our own schedule. If you just give us deadlines, we will meet it to quality and we can just work around our schedule. And that's the great thing I think that's really developing with law firms. Like if you have to go pick up your kid at 3 p.m., just go, you don't have to tell anybody. Um, yeah. Just as long as you get your work done to good quality, then that's what really matters. And it just really helps balance um, an attorney's life, helps balance their mental health. Um, and you know, I, I was kind of thinking about how much time we save not commuting um, yeah, at that yeah. time, you know, you just save not having to go change and, and get dressed for school and stuff. Like you, you get so much more sleep. And even if I go to bed at like, if I have an 8am class and I go to bed at midnight and I wake up at seven 30, so just 30 minutes before class starts, which is really all the time you really need to get ready. You just got seven mm -hmm. and a half hours of sleep for an 8am class that you went to bed at midnight. <laughs> That's quite a lot of yeah. sleep. Um, so I like it a lot. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, so the last major topic I wanted to get into is the questions of, uh, it's become kind of a hot button issue this week about 
New York is trying to come up with a plan for its in-person examination where they know they will have a seating shortfall uh, of trying to stagger the people who take it uh, and have some people take it in September and others have to wait until February. And uh, law school deans are very upset about this. But is there realistically any way in which we can we can really have 10,000 people take a bar exam in one sitting? Uh, is there a push to force the NCBE or prevail upon them at least to offer multiple days of it over the course of September? Uh, right now, they seem to say we're offering these two days and that's it of tests. But is there any uh, momentum, shall I say, for people to reach out and kind of try and push the NCBE to change its worldview in order to make things a little bit easier on people. Well, I, I can't speculate on uh, oh, okay. <laughs> what everybody wants. You know, I think it depends right. on everyone from different states. Like what mm -hmm. people from New York want could be very different from what people want in Wyoming because New York mm -hmm. has so many more people who have confirmed cases for the for COVID-19, whereas Wyoming has a lot less, you know, the, the paradigm might be different. What the NCBE does is they they is what they do. <laughs> the ABA yeah. tries to keep up our communications with them. But at the end of the day, it's just it's just the NCBE's decision on what they distribute. Yeah. And so what I could say is that law graduates in their states should not be afraid to reach out to their regulatory authorities and express how they feel about it and let those states decide for themselves because if the aba made this big overarching decision it could it could it could it might help a lot of people but it might detriment a large number of people who may not uh, fall into this one-size-fits-all model as for a push to to try to get everybody tested at once you know i I don't know. I'm not an expert on that. And yeah. it's other states are doing different things. And so we're just seeing uh, the results of it. Like California's, as I said, they're doing online exams. If that becomes a success, maybe other states might follow that. Um, if New York does a staggered thing, you know, the immediate question is, how is this fair? Like, how are they choosing which students go first, which students go last? Right. Um, there's there's a lot of different models people are trying. And I guess only time can tell uh, which, is, which is most successful. Yeah, the the New York model right now, I, I think I think New York would ideally have the bar exam every week a sitting uh, for all of September to get everybody through. But since the NCBE is not willing to let them do that, their uh, their current plan is to let people graduates of the New York local law schools go first, and then have out of state folks go at the next administration. Uh, logic being, from what I understand, that out-of-state folks moving to New York are more likely to be the sort of folks working at big law firms who, I, I mean, Cleary Gottlieb is not going to fire you if you have to take the bar exam in February because that's just how the pandemic rolled. Uh, so they, they figure the odds of somebody losing their job are much less there, whereas local law students from some of the lower tier schools in New York are probably the sort of folks going to small firms that can't carry an attorney who's not licensed. And so they're trying to process them first. Uh, unfortunately, this has kicked up a lot of anger on the part of out-of-state students, which I understand, but it, it's not like they're being told they can't get it. They, they're just like on the, on the wait and see. But yeah. for now, that's, that's where... Hey, I mean, it's 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 a rough situation. Like you, it, you can't kind of magic 
10,000 new seats, all socially distanced and ready to go in September. So something had to be done. And it seems like this is as, while it's not what I would want, it's as fair an option as any. But we'll see. Uh, it appears as though Massachusetts is going to follow that model too. So yeah, there's going to be more anger about this, but for sure. Alas, hopefully diploma privilege wins the day for some of these places, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. you hit on something really important that I want to address is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times we think the traditional law student path is go to law school and then go to a big law firm, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, something I really learned, one of the probably the most important thing I learned in my role is that, you know, most law students don't do that path. Um, we have over 200 ABA accredited law schools and most graduates don't do that. And, you know, a lot of graduates go into government, public service work. A lot of them become public defenders, DAs. And um, those students are the ones I, I have most concern for because um, a lot of these law students are, are true heroes and they're going to become DAs, PDs in very rural areas. Um, and those areas do have a high need for lawyers. And, and I think yeah. we there's this general feeling that we have too many lawyers out there or there's not a high need for lawyers, but that's... There's, that's true only for like urban areas, where rural areas, there is a very high need for lawyers. Um, and law students aren't very appealed to practicing there. But for the small few that are going to practice there, uh, you know, they're going to be barred from being able to, to, to practice there, therefore disadvantaging that entire community that was going to rely on their representation, um, which is really problematic. And I think it's something to that we should talk about more because people aren't aware of it. Yeah. And when I always like to say that when people suggest that there are too many lawyers. I point out too many lawyers doing what, though? Uh, there are maybe too many lawyers doing some tasks, but there are definitely a massive shortage of lawyers doing some of this other important stuff from just public defenders everywhere. But also, as you said, just being the the rural attorney for somebody uh, is huge, uh, mm -hmm. even if it's private sector, like not even a government thing, just a private sector attorney in some of these rural areas is so essential. I think it's, is it North Dakota? One of one of the Dakotas has a plan, basically, a, almost like a the old show, uh, what was that old show? Northern Exposure style plan where you can go to law school for free or whatever, but you have to promise to work in the rural areas of the state mm -hmm. for a while just because they're so short on attorneys. Yeah, so that's actually a South Dakota. They have that program. South, yeah, I knew there. it was one of them. <laughs> yeah, it's South Dakota. They have a, the exactly what you said. It's like a loan replacement or, or kind of a loan program where it's funded by the state, it's funded by the courts, it's funded by the bar association, it's funded by the school, where essentially if you commit to practicing uh, in rural areas, then they'll pay off a part of your tuition. Um, and that's yeah. a great, that's really a great program that uh, the ABA Law Student Division is actually running a resolution on right now to encourage other states to follow foot. Um, Colorado has a giant rural community, but we don't have anything like that. Um, and anything we can do to push more attorneys to represent people who live in rural areas who are in dire need of representation, you know, we, we should support that. Great. Well, thanks for joining me today. That's uh, Johnny Wynn. He's the chair of the Law Students Division at the ABA. Uh, thanks for catching us up on what's going on with law students and recent grads. Uh, if you are a law student or, you know, you should, you should join up. Uh, you will pro you probably, I mean, if it's anything like when I went to law school, you get that little email or whatever early on in your law school career asking you to sign up and uh, you should go ahead and do that. 
Yeah. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, give us reviews, subscribe, all that stuff. I mean, you know the drill. You've heard me give this speech a million times. Read Above the Law. Follow um, Joseph Patrice on Twitter. You should be listening to The Jabot, which is Catherine Rubino's podcast. You should listen to the other LTN podcasts. You should check out Logical, our sponsor. And eh, that's that's everything I needed to say. All right. We will be back next week. Talk to everybody later. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. You can also find us at AboveTheLaw.com, ATLRedline.com, iTunes, RSS, Twitter, and Facebook. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.